Well, good morning, church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to have a bit of a conversation this morning. Gary said last week you're supposed to sit down while you preach, so I'm paying attention. I don't know about you guys. Well, I want us to have a conversation this morning because in his letter to the Philippians, Paul says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, if we're honest this morning, I think we've all seen Philippians 4.13 somewhere before. You've seen it printed on kitschy Christian mugs at a Christian store, or at least you remember what Christian stores used to be. Maybe you saw it years ago under Tim Tebow's eyebrows or eyeballs or wherever he used to put that black marker. But the reality is I want to look a little bit at Philippians 4.12 this morning and a few other scriptures as well because this concept of, of contentment is one perhaps that is still so important for us to understand this morning. And obviously it was years ago if Paul saw it, it's so important to address it as well. But before we get going this morning, I want to do a little bit of a crowd interaction. I want to warm us up. I want to get us going here this morning. This is something that Charity and I do uh, often when we work with couples doing premarital prep. And I want to have a little fun with us this morning. So one of the questions that we love to be able to connect with our couples on and ask is on this topic of finances. And we ask our couples just this simple question. Are you a saver or a spender? So by show of hands this morning, we're going to be a part of this together as the collective. Would you say how many of you, by show of hands, are savers? Your default posture, more often than not, is a saver. Okay, cool. Thank you. Appreciate you being honest. If you're watching on our live stream this morning, uh, feel free to put those down in the comments on our YouTube channel. We'd love to be able to hear from you as well uh, and engage with you in this. Okay, so by show of hands, then how many of you are spenders. Awesome. Thank you. You are my people. I understand you. I relate to you. I get you. I'm not saying that one is good and one is bad. Don't hear me when I say that, but I, I understand. But it's an interesting thing when we look at this idea of finance, when we look at this topic of scripture, do you ever wonder something? Like, do you ever wonder when it became taboo to talk about money in church? Like, why did that somehow become a thing where it doesn't seem like we have this conversation? Again, that's why I'm not standing behind a giant pulpit. I don't want to be preachy this morning, but I want us to have this conversation because I shared a few weeks ago, if you remember, that when I was going to church, I only began going to church when I was 16, but when I started going to church and I was there pretty much every Sunday, I was at youth group every single Wednesday, I shared a few weeks ago that I never once heard a sermon, never once heard a youth group talk, never once heard a message on giving. And so it got me wondering as I gained maturity, as I went into my young adult years, as I began to even begin working in church, why was this such a topic that we were so standoffish on? I mean, I think the church is weird sometimes because there's a few of these topics that we just don't seem to ever really talk about. They're just like off the table. We can't go there. They're not allowed, even if scripture talks a lot about this. 
Hear this, church. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus deal with money. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament deals with this subject. Scripture offers about 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 on faith, but over 2,000 on money. So I want to prime you as we get going here this morning, church. And if you have questions, if you want to engage with this conversation, I would encourage you to do so. We're going to do some Q&R towards the end of the service. And again, as always, uh, you can email or you can text ask at westviewbaptistchurch.ca. If you're on our live stream as well, you can send those emails to us. uh, And we would love to be able to engage with you on that. Leave some in the YouTube comments. Or again, if you're so bold, you can share them here in person as well. But we would love to be able to engage with that. But church, as we get going, this morning. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you for who you are. And I pray that these words we just sung when we declare that you are all to us, Lord, that we would understand the depth of that, what that truly signifies, what that truly means in our lives, in our spiritual journeys. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, I want to talk about treasure this morning. When I talk to us about treasure, you've got some notes in your bulletins as well. I encourage you, if you want to dialogue and and, and work into those a bit, feel free to do that. But if you've got your Bibles with you, open them up, turn them on, however you engage with the Scriptures. But we're going to land in Matthew 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 is where we're going to start this morning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me give you a bit of context here. Material wealth was an important factor in Israel as an observation, as a sign of God's blessing. So for Israel, if their lives were were seemingly abundant and wealthy, for them, that was a sign of God's blessing upon their lives. And I think it's safe to say that we oftentimes think and engage with money in that same way. I found it interesting, this Greek word here, this negative imperative, do not store up, is actually the word thesorzo in the Greek text. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the word that we get the word thesaurus from. So when we talk about thesaurus, we're talking about a a treasure of words. So essentially what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, do not treasure up for yourselves treasure on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. And he uses these two word pictures. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's giving this message, he uses two word pictures to describe what is happening here in his text. And the first one that he uses is this word moth. He likens the power of of corruption, of destruction, of what wealth can do sometimes to the power of the moth. Right? I mean, if we've seen moths, they hover outside your, your lights late at night and you try not to go outside because then they all fly into your house and then you got to whack them with your fly swatter. But the moth was this small, minuscule creature that had the capacity to destroy such beautiful material. This small little thing, this small little moth, no bigger maybe than this, could destroy the beautiful, most ornate of dresses, of robes, of those who would have saved up and who would have spent fortunes to be able to have these. The moth 
has this ability to corrupt. And then the second word picture he uses is this word rust, which in the Greek is translated as eating or, or consuming. And so what Jesus is saying to his audience is he is saying, when we tr treasure up, when we store up our wealth, its corruptive power, its ability to destroy is like that of the eating or devouring of rust. Now, I don't know about you, I don't have a garage. So here's where we're going. I had a nice car when I moved to Alberta 10 years ago, uh, and it's been parked outside ever since. Does anyone want to wager a guess of what my Pontiac vibe looks like now? There's a beautiful landscape of rust all over the top of it. It's old. It served me well. But the reality is the paint and the steel has been devoured by this source. It has been eaten. It has been consumed. My car, in essence, is slowly being destroyed. Eventually, I'll give it to my kids and it'll be their problem. But the reality is... You think I'm kidding? I'm not, it's Noah's car in two years. He's going to be his. I get a new car in two years. All right, I'm saving up already. But the reality is, is that source begins to destroy what once was beautiful and intact and whole. But there's an interesting point here in this Sermon on the Mount of what Jesus doesn't say. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. As I was reflecting, as I was working through this text, Jesus never once in this Sermon on the Mount mentions what the treasure is. He doesn't. He doesn't mention what the treasure is. Our default might think when we think of do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, we might think it's simply gold. We might think it's simply silver. We might think it's simply land or, or stuff. But the reality is, is Jesus leaves it up to interpretation. Anything essentially can fit within that treasure box. But what Jesus, I think, here is helping us to understand, what I think he is getting at this morning, is he's talking about a contrasting of values. That he wants to talk about values. Uh, one of my favorite authors, James K.A. Smith, in a book he wrote called You Are What You Love. And if you want to take note of that, it's an incredible book. I would challenge you to pick it up and read it. He says this. He says, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his. To want what God wants. To desire what God desires. And dare I add, to value what God values. To hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. Essentially what Smith, I think, is saying here is our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity. The wellspring from which our priorities flow. This is what Jesus is saying here throughout Matthew chapter 6. He's saying, you are what you love. You are what you value. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to ask a question this morning, and I want us to think. I want you to, to reflect on this as I list these out and see if any of these land for you this morning and for you watching on our live stream as well. I want to ask you, what do you value? This morning, my friends, what is it that you value? Is it ego? Is it image? Is it wealth? Is it friends? Is it your career? Is it success? Is it the, the latest and greatest, the shiniest and brightest? Is it freedom? Is it rights? 
If I were to ask you this morning, any of those, or fill in the blank, what is it, church, what is it that you value? What is it that you value the most? James K. Smith, in his book later on, goes and shares this as we get into our second point this morning. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. That this whole concept of discipleship is a way to curate our heart, to begin to shape our heart to be one, to be a heart that desires what God desires. So after the challenge, his audience, he challenges them, what is it that you treasure most, Jesus says. In the verses immediately following this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time in that text, but I encourage you to read it. In verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. So what Jesus is doing here, church, is he's essentially giving his audience a math lesson. Now, if any one of you knows me, you know this is probably not my forte, and this is not my place of expertise that I should be talking about. Wendy's laughing, she understands. But Jesus here in this text is giving us a math lesson, and he's basically saying this, church. He's saying, you cannot have two ones. You cannot have two ones. I don't know if you remember uh, playing tr uh, Trick or Treat. Man, I'm in Halloween mode already here. Uh, hide and Seek. If you played Hide and Seek going up, maybe if you had a babysitter come over or a parent, aunt, uncle, grandparent, and, and they came over, and of course as a kid, you're the one who wants to hide, right? Like, that's it. I want to hide. You got to find me. And so if you're the person then doing the counting, and you're there, you know, binge watching Netflix, uh, and you're kind of there on the couch like five, four, three, two, one and three quarter, one and a half, one and a quarter, right? Like, because you don't want to leave your show. You're, the kid's fine, right? Like, they're happy hiding somewhere. They don't even want to be found secretly. Like, they're just happy to be gone, and you're having a moment of quiet, right? But you, you can't have two ones, right? You can't just keep saying one, 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 because that kid's going to hear that magically somewhere wherever he or she is, and they're going to yell down, you can't do that. You're going to come find me now. Because you can't have two ones. What Jesus is saying here in this is you cannot have two ones. There needs to be one thing above all others that we value most. And that's really the second part of our scripture this morning. Jesus in verse 25 says this and following so if you're there with your scriptures, follow along with me. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to their life? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. 
Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus in this passage is asking us a bold question. Why worry? Why? And he's not saying it just as this like pithy statement saying like, you know, this is Bob Marley here. Like, don't worry, be happy. Like this isn't where he's going. He's genuinely looking his audience in the eyes and he's saying, why are you worrying? What is it that you're worrying about? What is it that you're anxious about? And then he goes on and he gives this incredible story and this incredible illustration. And in verse 26, Jesus gives this lesson in ornithology. You're like, what? Ornithology, the study of birds. No one saw this coming, probably. Jesus was just like coming out of left field here. But he gives this lesson in ornithology. And he says, look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow nor reap. They don't gather crops into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? So he points out in this text what God values. And what God values is us. What God values is us. We are more important than the birds of the air. So why do we doubt God? Why do we continue to doubt? And then Jesus doesn't stop there. Then Jesus gives a lesson in horticulture. Because again, the times that he's in would have been a time of agrarian society. And so a horticultural landscape, a horticultural lesson would have resonated with the people where Jesus was on the Galilean hillside, would have been filled with flowers. Wild blue irises, purple and red anemones, and they would have been just rampant across the Galilean hillside. And so Jesus, in the incredible communicator he is, looks to his left, looks to his right, sees these beautiful flowers, and he says, are you not more important than they? The splendor of these flowers pales in comparison, not even to the splendor of Solomon's robes, one of the most lavish and luxurious people the Israelites would have ever known in their history. And he says, not even that pales in comparison to the beauty that I can create, to my sustaining power in what I can do. Again, Jesus says, I and more powerful, and I care more about you than anything else. And yet we still worry. And yet we still worry, church. I don't know how you felt this last little while, but um, this, this COVID season that we have found ourselves in has been one where statistically there has been an absolutely incredible, alarming trajectory of anxiety. There was a research project done recently out of the States, and I believe I've got the graph on the screen to be able to show you and, and for you watching at home as well. So this research firm uh, in the States did this uh, kind of 
window look at the last kind of 18 to 24 months of anxiety amongst especially kind of adults, but even more so amongst young adults. Prior to COVID, about one in 10 adults reported having moments, seasons of depression, of anxiety, and of worry. In the last 18 to 24 months, that has quadrupled. Four-fold increase in anxiety, in depression, and in worry amongst adults in the States. Now, before you see, like, okay, that's America. They got their own problems. That's life down there. But hold on, there's a Canadian statistic as well. And prior to COVID, most young adults, this statistic is specifically to young adults, young adults in Canada would have been one of the least likely to have reported a balanced and well kind of structured mental health. And if we don't have the stat, I'll find it for the next service and I'll share it with you. But the reality is, is in the last 18 to 24 months, that statistic has now dropped another 20%. So young adults, especially within Canada, are saying my mental health is at least 20% worse now than it was a year to two years ago. We worry. We worry about a lot of stuff. We worry about a lot of things, and yet Jesus continues to tell us, do not worry. Do not be anxious. There's the stat for you. It's alarming to see a generation that I am not too far from. Okay, like I'm, I'm stretching it a bit here. Don't, don't go there. But it's there. There is an incredible amount of worry in our culture. And we feel it, don't we? We feel it. We experience it. So as we bring this message to a close this morning, maybe you're asking, oh, I thought this sermon was about money. And it is, sort of. Yes and no. Because you see, the culture of ancient Israel could have been one where, you know, with drought and famine and decimated crops could have been an easy thing to have affected the livelihood of the people. The temptation to hoard, to accumulate, to, to store up would have been very easy in an agrarian society. Prior to coming here and pastoring in a rural small town in southern Alberta, I began to understand an agricultural society and the temptation to hoard when you depend upon the land for your well-being. I heard stories of great famine, stories of great loss, stories of great anxiety and worry because you didn't know what the season would hold. And it would be very easy for Israel to do likewise and to simply just hoard in their storehouses everything possible for a shinier, brighter, sunnier day. But what Jesus is asking here in his text on the Sermon on the Mount is he's asking church, who do you trust? Who is in charge? Who is Lord? Because the idols of materialism and self-sufficiency and pleasure run rampant within our culture. I have felt this and lived this and experienced this way too many times, this temptation that what is external and outside of me will be sufficient to get me through the day. Martin Luther once said, the God of this world is riches, pleasure, and pride. And I think that if you just spend a few moments scrolling through social media, 
If you just spend a few moments watching TV or just talking in conversation with your coworkers or your friends or your family, you would see this. You would understand that this is still the engine that is driving the train of our culture. To consume and to hoard and to have and to want. The great Billy Graham said in one of his rallies once, he said, there's nothing wrong with a person possessing riches. And I want to echo that this morning. That's not what this sermon, this message, this conversation is about. But he goes on and he says, the wrong comes when riches possess the person. You see, at the end of the day, if possessions control you, then he needs to become Lord. At the end of the day, if worries control you, then he needs to become Lord. At the end of the day, if your ego, your image, your wealth, your friends, your career, your success, your freedoms, your rights control you, then church, let me say it one more time. He needs to become Lord. What I think we need to do, church, more than anything else in this economy, in this culture, in the times that we find ourselves in, is we need to treasure Jesus. Church, we need to treasure Jesus. This is where our heart needs to be. This is where our heart needs to be this morning and every day forward. I want to pause here for a moment and and just invite us into this time of Q&R. This time to be able to engage with this text and to be able to to perhaps wrestle through some of these implications, through some of these questions. And so uh, for those of you who are watching and for us here as well this morning, uh, if you have any questions, I'd encourage you. Uh, Submit them to ask at westviewchurch.ca. You can text or email that, or we'll have a conversation here as well this morning, live and with you on our live stream. But I want to invite Reese up as well now and just give you a few seconds to be able to to do so and invite the the worship team as well onto the stage here. Uh, But I want to wrestle with this topic, and so I want to give you a chance to, to ask some questions. If there is anything when it comes to this idea when it comes to this conversation about, about finances, about worry, about wealth, and, and talk a little bit more about this. I have one for you. Knowing the hurt you experienced by the church, what drew you to faith in Jesus and the desire to connect in community in a church? I think that's from last week. Is that from last week? That is the exact question we had the privilege of asking last week. It's a great question, though. Ah, sorry. <laughs> All right, let's do this week. Has there been a time um, that you have truly seen God show up when you've had to trust Him in a financial situation? That sounds applicable. That works for today. That works for this morning. All right, let's go there. Yeah, one story I can recall early on in ministry. So Charity and I were living in the suburbs of Vancouver. Um, I'll share it. We were making about 30000 a year between the two of us living in Vancouver. That's below the poverty line. And... I remember we were heading down, hoping to head down to Mexico uh, to do a missions trip down there. 
and I had some leadership all set up, and uh, at about maybe a week and a half before uh, that we were slated to head down to, to Mexico on this missions trip, uh, the one female leader I had dropped out. Uh, some medical issues came up, and so she had to say, I can't come, I'm sorry, uh, but there's no way that I'm going to be able to be a part of this. Um, I knew going down there, I needed to have a female leader. I had a large uh, youth ministry with, with guys and girls, and I knew that I needed a female presence uh, to be able to minister to these girls and to be able to share Jesus and work alongside them. Uh, and I had about a week and a half to be able to find someone. Uh, and that's not easy to say, hey, can you take off two weeks and head down to Mexico with us? Um, like that. Uh, and so Charity and I began to pray. Uh, the reality was she was working and going to school and navigating life in this season as a newlywed couple. Um, and we had no way of, of knowing if this would even be possible. We did not have the financial means to be able to afford to pay for her, nor did the church, to go down and surf on this trip. It was about $1,000 uh, that we needed in just over 10 days. And, and we prayed, uh, and, and she ended up taking off a week without pay. She decided, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to honor you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take this week off, not on holiday, just I'm going to ask for a leave. I'm going to take it off without pay. So we decided that was our way of honoring God and providing a leader towards this. But we had no way of knowing how we would be able to make up that loss for us financially as a family. And it was probably about two or three days before we were heading on that trip that an envelope was just anonymously slipped under our door with the complete amount that we needed to be able to cover those expenses. And it was just a moment in our lives where we just saw God provide in a miraculous way. We were not expecting it. We did not demand it. We did not ask or make any mention of this to anybody. But we prayed. And we trusted God that he would do what we felt he could do in that moment as we didn't worry about where that would come from, but put our full trust in him, saying, we're just going to serve you and honor you in all things. And God came All right. Any questions this morning here? Anything that we can have a conversation of this morning, church, on this topic? I know that might not always be an easy one to talk about, but I want to create that conversation. I don't want this church to have anything that's off the table, that we can talk about these things as a church family. If there's anything on the live stream, anything in the, in the comment section with YouTube, we will connect with you as a church team. Uh, we would love to be able to engage with you. You can always send us those emails later on during the week as well. Uh, we'd love to be able to have that conversation with you. Well, church, let me close then with this. When our hearts treasure Jesus, then his priorities become our priorities. His ways become our ways. What he values becomes what we value. In all things. Yes, even with our money. Let me pray for us this morning, church. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge then in the gospels as you sat, stood, worked along the Galilean hillside as you shared then and what your words still mean now, to not worry, but in all things to trust you. That you are a God who cares so much for the creation, what you spoke into being. But even more, Lord, you care about your people.
Lord Jesus, you care about us. That you will meet all of our needs. Maybe not all of our wants, but all of our needs. And so I pray, Lord, that we would trust you in all things, honor you in all things, glorify you in all things, and not to worry. Because you, Lord, are good. And we declare that with our lips. We believe that with our hearts this morning, that we would be able to say, Jesus is Lord. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.